let me uh, pray, and then we'll jump into to Luke chapter 7. God, we do thank you and praise you for uh, this opportunity that we have as a body, as a church, as a gathered group of believers to sing your praises, God, to tune our hearts to your grace and your glory, to sit under your word. And so, God, we pray in this moment, Lord, that we would uh, surrender ourselves to you, God, that we would hold our hands out to you and ask you to, to give us life through your word. God, to speak to us. We pray that you would expand our view of you through your word, that you would stir our affections for Jesus as we look at the text. So, Lord, guide us. Allow your spirit to enlighten us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you expect out of life? What do you expect out of life? What do you expect out of the people around you in your life? What kinds of things do you expect to happen to you or not happen to you? There's some people that develop the logic that if you expect great things, then great things will happen. That if you dream big, then you'll either accomplish your dreams or you'll come close. Then there are others of us who expect very little so that we won't be disappointed. And obviously, the logic comes from um, experiencing the pain of disappointment. And so we adjust our expectations so that we can avoid that stinging pain of disappointment. And we can understand that because life is unfair at times, that people do disappoint us, that plans change and dreams don't always um, become fulfilled. And yet, what does it mean when that logic actually interacts with our understanding of who God is? What does it mean when we expect very little from God so that we're not disappointed? And and what does it mean if we expect great things from God, anticipating that he will give us everything that we're dreaming of? How do our expectations actually impact our understanding of who God is? And so what do you expect out of God this morning? What What do you desire him to do for you? And based on your expectations, what do, you, what do you require him to be like and to act towards you? Have you been expecting very little from God or very much from God? Well, disappointment is a reality for us all, that we don't escape life without experiencing the pain of disappointment in some way. And whether that's in the arena of relationships with uh, different friendships that we have, whether it's in the context of our family, with our parents or our children or our spouse or lack thereof, or maybe it's in the realm of our careers, how much money we make, and if we're climbing the corporate ladder. Or maybe we've experienced disappointment in our own selves. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, maybe we're disappointed with some of the decisions that we've made or what we look like or just where we are in life. Or maybe you've experienced the pain of disappointment with God. Maybe you think of God as a disappointing God because of the plan that he has for your life. Well, no matter what aspect of disappointment that you've experienced, there there is a sense in which disappointment with God can be a very real barrier in our relationship with him. That disappointment has the potential to steer us off course in our sanctification process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the question that I 
want us to look at this morning is how do we handle disappointment? How do we think about disappointment? Because this is something that if you haven't experienced yet, you will experience in this life. And so how do we, how do we think about disappointment in such a way that it actually enables growth in our relationship with God and not a barrier? We all know the saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And in some ways, it's become a mantra for handling life's disappointments, that when life doesn't go your way, make something out of it. When you're disappointed with the way things are, change them for the better. When something bad happens to you, don't let it get you down. But is that the best way to handle disappointment? Do we just put a smile on our face and pretend that the bitterness is really just sugar in disguise? See, what I want to lay out for us this morning through this passage is a, is a better way to handle disappointment and a better way to think about disappointment with God and in life. And so I want to be clear this morning that our passage in Luke chapter 7 is about Jesus, that Jesus is the main character in our story here today, that he is really the main character in all of Scripture, that all of Scripture points to Jesus, the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, our passage also deals with very real people who experience disappointment. And we'll learn this in a moment, but John is wrestling with disappointment with God. And so as we move through our passage, I want to look at three things. First, the loaded question that John the Baptist has for Jesus, the loaded question. And then number two, I want to look at the loving response by Jesus, the loving response and then number three, I want to look at the encouraging promise, the encouraging promise. And, and as we move through these three sections in our passage, I'm going to be sprinkling application all the way through. So we've got the question, the answer, and the promise. But first, let me, let me just set the scene for what's going on here in our passage. So in our passage, we see John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus, the prophet, he's in prison. And though he's mentioned in chapter 5, verse 33, indirectly, John has really been off stage since his arrest in chapter 3. And John's role as a prophet, as we know, was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was supposed to declare to those around him that Jesus is the promised Messiah and he is here. So therefore, repent and follow him. That was his message. That was what his life was all about. And yet declaring that message is what, got, what John sent to prison. And so Herod had imprisoned John east of the Dead Sea, and he's been in prison nearly all of Jesus' extensive Galilean ministry. This is almost a year that John has been in prison. And so what can we learn about disappointment from our passage? So here's number one, the loaded question. In verse 19, we see John the Baptist tell his disciples to go and ask Jesus a very important question. He wants to know from Jesus, are you really the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Now, this is an incredible question, especially coming from John the Baptist, who in Jesus' words in verse 28 said that there is none greater born of woman than he. This is an incredible question on so many different levels. It's a very loaded question, saying, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? But why the loaded question here? Like, why, why is John the Baptist asking this question? Well, we see in verse 18 that 
in prison, John's disciples are reporting all these things to him. And it appears that John's question in verse 19 is birth from all of these things that, that his disciples are reporting to him. And all of these things likely refers to what's been taking place in chapter 7, that we see Jesus healing a Gentile military officer's servants, and he's showing compassion for a widow. And so don't miss this, but what's taking place is that John is hearing the ministry of Jesus, and then he shoots this loaded question at Jesus. And so what we have to understand is that John's expectations of the coming Messiah did not include having compassion on the Gentiles, but it included judgment on them. That his view of the Messiah was shaping his expectations, that it included a type of punishment on the Gentiles for those who did not believe in the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to come and reclaim the earthly kingdom to the Jews and, and take down the Gentiles and the Roman Empire and, of course, set him free from prison. And so, as John experiences these unmet expectations of the Messiah, he gives Jesus this loaded question. See, we see just the opposite of what Jesus is doing. He's showing compassion. He's healing many. And this unmet expectation has led John to questioning altogether if Jesus really is the Messiah. That John is wrestling with disappointment with Jesus. And one thing that we have to remember about John is that he's used to running free. He's used to having total freedom in the desert, just preaching the gospel to whoever he wants. And yet we find John the Baptist in a dark, cold, wet prison cell. And I wonder, though, and this isn't in the text, but I just wonder if John the Baptist is in a second kind of prison. Not just a physical prison, but according to verse 19, as, as John asked this question, I, I wonder if he's in a second prison, a prison that's filled with his own doubts and unmet expectations, a prison of his own disappointment with Jesus. And I wonder this morning if you can, if you can relate to John the Baptist today, that maybe you're not obviously in a physical prison, but do you feel like you're in a, another kind of prison based on the circumstances in your life and based on the emotions that you feel? Are, are you in a, a metaphorical prison this morning? That maybe you're here this morning and, and you feel like you're in the prison of anxiety or fear. Or maybe you're in the, the prison of loneliness. Maybe you're in the prison of just feeling overwhelmed or, or empty or feeling doubt and, and insecurity. And I don't know what, what prison cell that you're in this morning, but I can almost guarantee that no matter what prison cell that you're in this morning, the air that you breathe can be ex a disappointment with God. That when you're in a prison cell in life, when you feel like you're just trapped based on your circumstances or your emotions, what surrounds you can be this disappointment with God. And so what do you do? What do you do when you feel like you're in a prison cell wrestling with disappointment with God? Well, what does John do here? Well, we see in verse 19 that John asked this question about Jesus. Are you really the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And what I want to point out here is that if you feel like you're in a prison cell, asking God questions is a really good place to start. 
In fact, Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment with God, has this quote. He says, one bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. And as often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than to shut God out. That's exactly what John the Baptist does here. He doesn't stuff his questions. He doesn't pretend that they're not there. But he goes to Jesus with his questions. And the reason he does this is because he knows that God can handle our questions, that God can handle our doubts, that God doesn't shy away from them. He actually addresses them head on. I mean, John's question is about as bold and loaded as they get. And yet one thing that we need to understand is that there's something behind John the Baptist's question here. In fact, there's something behind all of our questions that we ask God. And especially when we're experiencing disappointment with God, the questions that we ask God are very, very important. That our questions to God actually reveal the condition and the state of our hearts. And so it's not only important to know that we can ask God questions, it's not only important to know what kind of questions to ask God, but it's really important to know the condition of our hearts that's actually driving the questions that we ask God. It's critically important when you're living in a prison cell of disappointment, that we need to be in tune with the questions that we ask God because they not so much help us solve our issues or, or release us from prison, but the questions that we ask God, we can actually use them as a magnifying glass into the condition of our hearts. So do, do the questions that we ask God reveal a heart of unbelief? Do the questions that we ask God reveal a heart of, of callousness? Do the questions that we ask God reveal a heart that's filled with pain and disappointment? See, there's always something that's driving the questions that we ask God, and it's in our best interest to really identify what that really is. And so what was it for John? What was driving this loaded question? Well, I would argue that it's profound disappointment. It's profound disappointment. And so because of that, I just want to spend just a few moments looking at the makeup of disappointment. What's What's the anatomy of disappointment? So when you think about disappointment, where does it come from and what is it like? Here are a couple observations. Number one is that disappointment is oftentimes cultivated during challenging circumstances. John the Baptist found himself in a challenging situation. Knowing what we know about John the Baptist who lived out in the desert in freedom, this might have been the worst situation for him, just stuck in prison not being able to, to freely preach the gospel to whoever he wants and, and prepare the way of the Messiah. This was incredibly challenging for John. And disappointment with God is, is often cultivated during these challenging circumstances, that when life is harder than we anticipated, when our life does not go as planned, when we're faced with trying times, especially when we think about those around us who might have it easier than us, we can begin to look at God and ask the questions, what about me? God, did you forget about me? 
And you have to wonder if, if John the Baptist is asking those questions. I mean, John the Baptist is receiving this report from his disciples about Jesus healing all kinds of people, preaching the good news, the deaf can hear, the blind can see. You have to wonder if John the Baptist is wondering, Jesus, what about me? Jesus, that's, that's great that you have this ministry over here and, and these people are being healed, but have you forgotten about me? Have you ever asked God that question before? Have you ever asked God, God, what about me? God, have you forgotten about me? God, when is it my time? Have you ever looked at people around you and maybe they have kind of this spiritual vibrancy or this joy and you think to yourself, God, God, when is it my time to experience that joy? Or maybe you look at someone else's life, maybe their family or their job or, or where they are, and you think to yourself, man, when is it my time to have that kind of life? Maybe you think about your own life, and you, you compare your life that's filled with maybe disappointment and pain and trials. And you look at other people who it seems like they just have it all together. They have this comfortable life. They never struggle and you think to yourself, God, what about me? When is it my time to not go through a season of pain and disappointment? See, it's in those times, those difficult situations that we can feel most neglected by God, most overlooked by God. And yet it is in those times that disappointment is, is often cultivated because of these challenging circumstances that challenging circumstances just have a way of turning our focus away from God and onto ourselves. Here's another aspect of disappointment, another aspect of the anatomy of disappointment. It arises from unmet expectations, unmet expectations. It's interesting to see kind of the, the turning of the tables here that occurred with John the Baptist that Luke records in chapter 3, verse 15 it says, as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. Isn't that interesting? That the people, because of their expectations, were wondering if John was the Christ. And now we see John who's questioning in his own heart whether Jesus is the Christ. And it's really because of this issue of expectations. See, there's this direct relationship between expectations and disappointment. And much of our disappointment comes not, not because we've been wronged, but because there's been a failure to reach our expectations. Just a confession for you this morning, in school, I wasn't the greatest math student. Okay, math just wasn't my forte. It wasn't, wasn't one of my strengths, and I'm sure some of you can relate to that. I'm sure others of you are probably thinking, okay, that's why the Fishers Campus budget numbers look so solid. Yet, that's not the reason. The reason is because you guys are giving faithfully and doing a good job of that. But I didn't thrive in advanced mathematics. I still obviously understand the basics of math, of addition and subtraction, so we can breathe a sigh of relief this morning. But no matter what grade that you received in high school or college or, or whatever math class you took, I, I think that we can all struggle with having bad math as it relates to our relationship with God. See, we think that just because one plus one equals two, that in our relationship with God, if, if I do A, if I read the Bible and pray, 
plus B, if I go to church and avoid sinning, then C, God has to give me the plan that I want for my life. That God has to meet my expectations for God. See, we put together these formulas and these equations that that really aren't in Scripture. And we say, okay, God, I do A and B, you must do C. And, And what can happen is that we can almost throw God up against the wall and say, God, you have to come through for me. You have to meet my expectations because I've done A and B. And these equations that we oftentimes come up with are are nowhere in Scripture. You know, we can kind of say to ourselves, "If if I just pray enough, then God has to give me the family that I want, the spouse that I want, the, the children that I want. That if I read my Bible enough, then, then surely I'm going to land my dream job. Or we think to ourselves, if, if America would just repent of their sins, then God will make America great again. So we come up with these equations that really aren't founded in the Bible And we push God up against the wall and we say, God, it's your turn to come through for my plans. And yet I wonder what what different characters in Scripture would think about some of our equations. I wonder what Job would think about our math equations with God or or Joseph or Leah from from Genesis that Jacob married Leah and didn't even love her. See, those unmet expectations, these equations that we can force God to follow can result in profound disappointment with God. So are you, are you holding God to unbiblical expectations that have more to do with your own plan, with your own expectations, with, with your own vision for your life? So we need to be very, very careful about the type of expectations that we put on God to make sure that they line up with Scripture. Third observation about the makeup of disappointment is that it's accompanied with doubt. It's accompanied with doubt. That disappointment is often linked and connected to doubt. That one feeds the other. And we can, we can even see in John the Baptist's question here, it's, it's drenched in potential doubt. He's basically saying, are, are you really the Messiah, Jesus? Are you really him? Because I look at my circumstances and I look at your own ministry and I'm just not sure that this is so true in, in times of, of experiencing disappointment with God that we can, we can jump on the train of doubt, that we can ask God all kinds of questions that are motivated by hints of doubt in our hearts, that we ask God, are, are you strong enough? God, do you, you care about me? God, have you forgotten about me? And and those might be honest questions, and, and God can surely handle our questions, but, but there might be some doubts in them. And so this question that, that John the Baptist asked, Jesus, are you really the one, or should we look to another, is, is really the question that doubt tries to attack. I mean, this is really the foundation of all other questions. Jesus, are you really him? Are you really the God of my hope? Are you really the God of my satisfaction, or should I look to something or someone else? Should I look to a, an idol to, to fulfill me, to get me through this, this time of being in prison? It's, it's this question that is really the foundation and, and really the most important question that you can answer, especially in times of disappointment. Jesus, are you really the one? 
that I, that I was created to enjoy, that I was created to depend on, that I was created to run to in times of disappointment, or should I look to something or someone else? And if you're in a time of, of feeling like you're in a prison, whatever you're going through this morning, this is the question that you have to answer. And you really only have two options. It's either Jesus or it's an idol. You're going to run to something else. So if that's somewhat of the anatomy of disappointment, let's look at Jesus' response here just for a moment. How does how does Jesus respond to this very loaded question to, uh, from John the Baptist? Well, Jesus responds in, in verses 21 and 22. And before we get there, I, I just thought it was really humorous in verse 20, this, this phone tag that's kind of taking place between John the Baptist and Jesus. I mean, how would you like to feel if you were one of John's disciples here? Like, you, you go up to Jesus and you're like, hey, you know, John the Baptist wants to know this question, like, I know, but you're going to tell us, right? Like, John wants to know, not, not us. And they're kind of throwing John under the bus here. But look at, look at Jesus' response in, in verses 21 and 22. It says this, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, that the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Jesus answers John's question by, by drawing from Isaiah. And in fact, he's, he's quoting all over Isaiah. Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 61. And he's using scripture to describe his ministry. It's kind of this, this symphony of echoes from Isaiah that's not meant to limit the description of Jesus' ministry, but it's used to amplify and solidify his mission. And he's trying to really show the scope, the really the extensive scope of his own ministry, that he's not here to bring an earthly kingdom to destroy the Roman Empire, but to provide good news to all. This is a prophetic description from Isaiah. And so looking at Jesus' response here, I just want to point out just how incredibly loving Jesus responds to John here, his cousin who's in prison. There is love just drenched all over this response. So let me just highlight a few things about Jesus' response. And, and if, you're, if you're in a prison this morning, just use this as kind of application for what you might be going through this morning. Number one, notice in Jesus' response that he actually addresses his question, that he actually cares about this question. And Jesus loves John through his response, that Jesus' response is immediate. He doesn't delay or ignore his question. Jesus doesn't think to himself, come on, John, like that, that's a dumb question. Like there's more important things at hand. No, Jesus addresses this very vulnerable question from John in a loving way. And sometimes when we're in a prison, sometimes we think that God has forgotten about us or he's annoyed with our questions or our doubts. And yet what we can see from this exa example from Jesus and John is that Jesus deeply cares about our questions and about our circumstances and addresses them head on. 
Another thing I want to point out is that in Jesus' response here, he covers pretty much the full spectrum of suffering. The full landscape is represented here of, of difficulty, and by doing so, Jesus is showing John how compassionate he is, that he is a God who meets needs, who addresses suffering. And yet, not only that, but Jesus actually addresses our questions and our doubts. And so this shows us that we can bring our doubts, we can bring our questions, we can bring our disappointments and our pain and our insecurities to God, and they're not deemed as too little for Him. Sometimes we think that our questions are not worthy for God, that God has other concerns in the world, and so He he kind of lowers them on his priority list. And yet, let's be reminded that, that we should never be timid in bringing our questions to Jesus. Third observation about Jesus' response here is that John's distorted expectations of Jesus led him to missing powerful acts performed by Jesus. And this is kind of interesting that that John's response to the report from his disciples about about Jesus' amazing ministry, about all of these miracles taking place, it's not, wow, Jesus, you're incredible. Wow, Jesus, I I can't believe that you're doing this. All praise and glory to you. John's response is he kind of looks down at his own circumstances. He looks away at what Jesus is doing, and he looks at himself. And could this be true of us? I mean, when we're experiencing times of disappointment or times within the prison cell, could we be missing God working in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Are our expectations just kind of clouding our vision of what God could be doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us? And yet, even in Jesus' response, it's just, it's so loving here. Because even as John is in the prison, Jesus is trying to help John to look up. He's trying to help John to look up and look around at what Jesus is actually doing in and around his life. This is really a good reminder. It's a good reminder for me that that even in the dark times of life, God is still at work. That the presence of the living God is still with us even when we don't fully sense it. That even in the prison times, even in the dark times, that God has not left you. God has not forsaken you. He didn't leave you, and he's not on to more important issues. But God is working in and through those times of disappointments, even when we don't fully sense him working. It's also just a good reminder that, that God is not in the business of kind of making the best of it when things don't go our way. God is not kind of this cosmic janitor that, that comes in after something breaks and tries to, tries to clean it up. God is actually in it before, during, and after our plans fall apart. Before, during, and after we experience disappointment, not just after. He doesn't just kind of sweep in and make the best of our times when we're in the prison. God is a God of sovereignty, and he knows exactly what he is doing. And so in those times when we're feeling alone and we're feeling like, like God has forgotten us, let's remind ourselves that God is sovereign and he's working and he's working things that we can't always see. The last thing I want to point out here about Jesus' response 
is that Jesus gives John exactly what he needs. He gives him exactly what he needs. You notice Jesus' response is just filled with Scripture. He's using Isaiah to, to, to throw back at John his response. But notice that, John, that Jesus does not give John new information. He doesn't give John some epiphany. He doesn't like enlighten John about the answers to his question. Jesus responds to John with Scripture. He responds to John with basically with himself. And I think that's a really important lesson for us in the midst of disappointment. That what you and I need more than anything else when we're in the times of feeling like we're in a prison is not some new epiphany. It's not all of the answers to our questions. It's not even to be released from the prison. But what you and I need more than anything else is God himself through Scripture. That God is unchanging, that he's unmoving, that he's consistent with what he claims to be. And Jesus, as a result of using Scripture, is lovingly reconfiguring John's expectations of him to be more accurate. And so if if Jesus is using Scripture to inform John's expectations and disappointment, how much more should we? So how do you personally use Scripture to confront your own disappointments with God? Do you run to to this book as the foundation for shaping who God is and what he is like? Do you use this book to to shape your expectations of God? See, if we're really honest, far too often when we're experiencing pain and disappointment, we we kind of want to proof text our way through those seasons of our life. We so often just want like a verse here and a verse there just to get us through those times And really all that we're doing is we're reinforcing our own distorted expectations and our our bad math equations with God. And yet what we need to hear this morning is that God is not in the business of just handing us band-aids when we're going through times of pain and disappointment. But God is interested in doing a surgery of the heart and he uses this book to get at our souls and our hearts and our minds that he's trying to give us a bigger picture of what he is doing and who he is like. That the word of God is a mirror, according to James chapter 1. And it's a mirror not to look at your face, but to look at the condition of our hearts and our minds. And what we need more than anything, especially in these times of profound disappointment and expectations, I know, I know it's counterintuitive, But what we need more than anything else is God himself through Scripture, not being released from that season of pain. For most of us, we either expect too little from God or too much from God. And yet the reality is, is that, I mean, God never disappoints. Like what we feel is a subjective disappointment based on our own distorted expectations because God is unfailing. God never disappoints. He never breaks his promises. He's always true to his word. And so so often what we feel is more of a subjective emotion. And our feelings are real, but we have to remember we can't allow them to be authoritative in our lives. God's word is a rock, not because it makes our lives easy or it releases us from prison, but 
God's word is a rock because it keeps our feet out of sinking sand in the midst of challenging circumstances and unmet expectations. I just want to say, if you're here today and you're unsure of of how to use the Bible in that way, of of how to open it up and and study it and read it, I I would love to meet with you. I know Dustin Crow would love to meet with you. I know uh, any small group leader would love to meet with you and just sit down and just teach you how to study Scripture in a way that this actually shapes your understanding of, of God. We'd love to do that. So shoot me an email if that's what it takes, and we'll set something up. And, and also, on August 14th, I'll be actually addressing this issue uh, for the sermon that day of, of how to think about the Bible and, and actually how to study it. And so, if this is John's loaded question, Jesus, are you really the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And we've seen Jesus' loving response. Let's go to our third section here and look at, at the encouraging promise in verse 23, the encouraging promise that Jesus offers. He says this. He says, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, what does this mean? In the NIV, it's translated this way. It says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or fall away on account of me. And I think what Jesus is getting at here is he's basically saying, Look, I, I know it's hard and it's difficult to follow me, but but if you do, if you follow me and you don't stumble and you don't follow and you don't fall away from me, there is rich reward for you. There is a blessing. You will be fulfilled and you will be satisfied with me. I think what he's getting at here is that you may not get the circumstances that you want. You may not have all of your questions answered. You may never leave the prison cell of your life. But the blessing is, is that you get me. You get my presence. You get my promises. You get my word. If you don't fall away on account of me, if you're not offended by me. So I want to ask you this morning, are you, are you missing out on this blessing from Jesus? I'm not saying if you're saved or not, but, but are you missing out on the blessing of Jesus' presence and his power in your life, no matter what season of life that you're in, because you're looking to another to satisfy you? Are you looking to, to, to kind of like a band-aid rather than running to Jesus during this season of your life? Are you missing out on this amazing blessing of having Jesus and his presence? And that really begs the question, that if you feel like you're in a prison cell because of the circumstances in your life, do you want Jesus or, or do you want to be released from the prison? Wh- which one do you want more? Are you content with, with saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll be in this season of my life as, as long as you want me to because I still have you, because I get you? Or is there something going on in your heart where you're you're kind of stumbling away from Jesus, thinking, I will do anything to get out of this season. I'm, I'm tired of this pain. I'm tired of this disappointment. And, and I'm just going to kind of walk away from Jesus and look to something else to kind of medicate me during this time. Are you missing this amazing blessing, this amazing promise that Jesus has for you? I do want to say if that if you're here today and you're not a Christian and I just I want to say, if you're not a Christian you're here, we are so thrilled that you're here. I hope that you have felt so welcomed and, and loved. 
I also hope that you've seen Jesus exalted, that you've seen the beauty of Jesus, that we really try to make Jesus not only um, compelling, but also convincing to you. And I just want to ask you, if you're here and you're not a believer, how do you handle disappointment in your life? Like, how do you, how do you process disappointment when it comes your way? Do you just try to make lemonade out of lemons? Do you just try to make the, the most of it or, or look to something else? And my hope and my prayer for you is that as you've listened to this sermon, that you would look at what Jesus has to offer you, his, his presence and his promises, and you would say in your heart, I want that. I want that kind of king. I want that kind of God in my life to be with me in my darkest moments not the kind of God that demands a performance-based life where I have to earn my approval or earn my salvation. And so I just, I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're saying that in your heart, that you want Jesus, I just want to encourage you to, to look upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. To look to Jesus, to the one who paid the penalty of your sin. And I know that might be hard to hear that your sin there are actually consequences to what you have done, that you've offended God. But I want to point you to Jesus and the fact that he has paid that penalty for you, that he engulfed the wrath of God for you. And I just want to encourage you to place your faith upon Jesus and what he has accomplished for you and become a follower of Jesus today. And really so that you don't have to go through disappointment in this life alone. So you don't have to pick up this mantra of I'll just, I'll just make lemonade out of lemons and just try to get through it. But there's something so much more beautiful about being a follower of Jesus when you experience disappointment in life. And, and as I close this morning, I, I want to speak to those of you who are followers of Jesus, that you are a Christian. And, and if you're here today and, and you're just, just saying to yourself, I I am right there in that prison cell. I may not be in a physical prison cell, obviously, but, but my life, the circumstances that, I, that I'm in, you know, it just feels like I'm stuck in a prison. And I just want to encourage you today to run to Jesus, to, to look to Jesus, to, to look upon what he offers for you during these seasons of disappointment and just Throw yourself upon Jesus, that that is really the best thing that you can do, to, to not so much look to other things to medicate yourself during this time, but to look to Jesus and understand that God is sovereign, and that he has ordained the season of your life, and it may be painful, and it may be just so hurtful what you're going through, but to look to Jesus, to the God who cares, to the God who sees you, to the God who has not forgotten you, to the God who offers this book to help shape our expectations and our disappointment with him, and to decide in your heart, are you going to look to him or are you going to look to something else? And so in a moment here, I want to offer just a, a time where you just kind of do some business with God for a couple moments, just, just between you and him, just really a time of silence today, and, and then I will kind of close that moment with prayer. And so with, with just your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed right now, I just, just want to encourage you just to, just to talk to the Lord, just to, 
ask him to reveal things in your heart, just the, the condition of your heart that might be driving some of the questions that you're asking him. And, and as you're just talking to the Lord, just maybe there's some aspect of your life that you just need to repent of today. That maybe there, there's some really bad formulas that you've been living by. Maybe there, there's some expectations that you've been placing on God that aren't totally biblical. I just want to encourage you to take this time and, and to look up at God, not look down at your circumstances, and ask God to give you the grace that you need. So let's just take a couple moments to do that, and then I'll close this in prayer. God, I do give you praise that you tell us in Scripture to make our requests known to you. God, I give you praise that you are a God who cares for us, that you are a God who does not forget us, but you are a God who sees, who notices us, that you don't overlook us or neglect us. Lord, I thank you that no matter what we feel, no matter what we're going through, Lord, that you enter into our pain and our suffering. And Lord, with this very difficult issue of disappointment that can really serve as a barrier between us and you, God, I, I pray for those who are here this morning who, who are just filled with this emotion of disappointment. God, I, I pray that you would extend to them a special grace, that you would unleash your mercy and your power to them. God, I pray that you would remind them of the things that you're doing in their life. God, that you would help them to look up at you and not look down at their emotions. And Lord, I pray that they would run to you, Jesus, that they would run to your book, that you, you give us life in it. And so, Lord, would you, would you shape us as a people who depend upon you that when we ask those questions, are you really the one or should we look elsewhere? God, I pray that we would answer with that, yes, you are the one. You are the lover of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.